Hello and welcome to Tea or Books. I'm Rachel. I'm Simon. And this is episode number 18, in which we're going to have possibly our most random um, discussion yet. <laughs> the first one will be titles. Fancy or simple? Um, <laughs> followed by... Um, in, yeah, I mean, it sounds great, doesn't it? I'm entirely um, to blame for that I, one. Can I just say this is, has been Simon's suggestion, not mine. Um, followed by another Simon's suggestion, which is Poirot versus Marple in... So, in case you don't know, if anyone doesn't know, the detectives in... Agatha Christie stories. This so, interaction, Simon, Rachel. Simon, how are you? Well, this interaction is reminding me of when I played um, Angels by Robbie Williams on the violin in Assembly when I was about 12, in that my violin teacher stood up and said, <laughs> I, sh- I just want everyone to know that I didn't think Simon should play this, and then I had to play after <laughs> that. That's the, sen- that's the flashback I'm getting right now. <laughs> I love that you did that. It, was, it wasn't good for me or for anyone listening but you know it was a it was a lesson in how to ever overcome adversity i didn't know (laughs) (laughs) um so once i've recovered from that you know pdsa no ptsa pdsa is a pets charity or is it something else completely (laughs) anyway i'm fine (laughs) though i may not sound it (laughs) i um had a nice weekend not doing very much um, and well, I'm actually sort of immersed in books for shiny new books because it's coming up. We've got a couple of weeks till the next issue. Um, and I have been busy, uh, beating my way through the books I've had up for that. Currently reading, um, Helen Oyeyemi's, uh, collection of short stories, What Is Not Yours Is Not Yours. All right. Thought? I've read a lot about that recently. Yeah, I hadn't heard it, it was happening until, um, Jenny and Jenny mentioned it on reading the end. I thought, oh, I like Helen Oyemi. I should um should ask for a copy of that, which I did. Um, yeah, it's very, it's. I find the long short story is quite a um a difficult medium for me to get on with. I like <laughs> I like a short short story. I like a novel. The long short story baffles me, but this one is working quite well for me in the moment. Well, I'm glad to hear it. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, how are you? How was your birthday? Oh, it was, you know, it was actually really great, and I don't mind being 30 at all. Um, I had a lovely day out on the beach, and it was beautifully sunny. Um, I had lovely meals out with my friends and with my family, so it was really nice, yeah. And I feel, you know, the world hasn't ended. I feel like a, the same as I did before. I just feel like I'm, I'm more like responsible somehow. Oh, okay. Has that happened now? Yeah, <laughs> Over, overnight. Happens, it's just descended on me. And I'm like, right, okay. I'm a 30 year old woman. I can do what I want. Um, I think you'll find the laws still apply, but let's. <laughs> I don't uh, need to follow the rules anymore. <laughs> you are bound by no man. <laughs> I'm a maverick. <laughs> oh, mavericks. So many of them around. <laughs> so many ITV dramas about Mavericks. I know. Maybe one will be every... about Putin. I just love this about one about a police officer who just follows the rules, gets the job done. Because <laughs> that would be boring, Simon. Well, that's what, that's the you know what we need to um, change in the public's view. We should need to untarnish rule following as a boring thing. Rule following is responsible. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I wasn't born to be a Maverick. I don't think. Um, but you know what people like you, Simon? Oh, solid. Solid, boring. Yeah. <laughs> I have two questions for you, Rachel. 
One is the okay. usual, what are you currently reading? And one is the one that, that occurred to me this week, and I have realized I don't ask you, do your loved ones, do your friends and family listen to the podcast? Do you tell them about it? Is it, or is it sort of a, a, a secret? No, well, I mean, I have told people. My mum had needed the word podcast explaining to her when I told her what to say. Um, and no, I don't, it doesn't appeal to the family. My brother does listen to podcasts, but, but not certainly yours. not. <laughs> no. Um, and I've told some friends about it, but then I'd, actually, I don't think that really anyone I know really listens to podcasts, which is a shame, really. That is a shame. Hmm. Um, you think they'd, you think they'd listen just to hear you? I know the dulcet tones of my voice, but they probably hear me too much as is. So. <laughs> they have quite enough already. I see. Yeah. Well, my brother just um, started a podcast ah. um, with his friend Zizan called the C to Z of Films or the C to Z of Movies. I can't remember which one. It's about films. <laughs> I'm liking the, the pun there. It's clever, isn't it? Um, yeah. Uh, I listened to bits of the first one. It was an hour and a half, and there was a solid hour on Captain America. that that wasn't my my jam but um but i tuned in for the best and worst of jim carrey segment so well who wouldn't tune in for that oh i know (laughs) that's that's where the crowd is drawn to um um what are you reading um i'm still plowing my way through the years which is taking me years Years. to read um (laughs) it's very long and very detailed, but I'm enjoying it very much. I'm just kind of absorbing myself in it. I don't really have an awful amount of time to read at the moment because um, I'm just, you know, and I have a really annoying journey in the morning, which is like 15 minutes on one train and then 15 minutes on another one. So I never really have time to get into anything. So I need to get better at reading in the evening. Yeah. Because oh. I've got addicted to a new TV series now and it's all just gone to pot. Who was that? House of Cards. Oh, right. No. Um, no. That's all I have to say on that, really. Um, Amazing. I've seen bits of the, the previous one, the 80s or 90s or whatever it was, one. but um, With what's-his-face, Ian something, and Jane out of Pride and Prejudice. But no, not the most recent one. It's It's very good. Though I'm not sure you're talking about this one's about this is American. It's about um yeah. So it's a, it's a well, so it's not really a remix. They're both based on the novel, aren't they? But there was um yeah, yeah. there was a based one. There was a UK one back in the nineties. Yeah, yeah. I mean Kevin Spacey is extraordinary. Yeah. I find that I don't really watch dramas because I my soaps. That's all the drama I need in my life. Uh, like, no, well, yeah, you, you do have your soaps. Remember, I don't have a TV, so I only have Netflix. Oh, I so, see. So, <laughs> yeah, and I've been drawn in now. Before I know it, it's, you know, two o'clock in the morning and I've watched five episodes back to back. I spent one year without a television and I became one of those insufferable people who just says, oh, of course, I didn't have a television when it came up in conversation, yeah, I, but as you it. were just then. But also, <laughs> but but I still spent most of my time watching TV on my computer, so, you know, it yeah. made no difference at all. <laughs> It's like, yeah, I watch iPlayer, but I don't have a TV. <laughs> I'm really smug, but I actually do everything that you do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm just deceitful as well. <laughs> and what about you? What are you reading? So apart from the Helen and Yemi, I think I'm, I mentioned it in passing last week, but I hadn't started it then, or last time. Um, I'm reading a really good book called The Lost Europeans by Emmanuel Litvinov, which is oh. um, just been reprinted by Apollo. Uh, it was first published in, I think, the early to mid 50s and it's about somebody returning to 
Germany after the Second World War, having been evacuated um, when they were a child before the war started, um, and they're Jewish, and it's about sort of how they how they are treated by people in the aftermath of war and how they deal with um, not really their memories because they weren't there during the war, but I guess their memories of the war and, and dealing with what happened to um, his family and people he knew, all that sort of thing. But the writing is is just so good. You know, sometimes you just start reading something, and you think. And have to slow down because the choice of words in each sentence is obviously so carefully done and so brilliantly done that I can't just read this for what's happening. It's one of them. Yeah. Oh, that sounds amazing. I'd love yeah, to read that. I'm very impressed. It's, it's not an easy. It's, well, it's not a hard read, but it's not a sort of like you know kick back and relax sort of read because it's quite tough reading at times. But but really really good. So. Okay, I'll I'll let I'll uh, look that up. So look, the Lost Europeans. The okay. Lost Europeans. Yeah, and really nice editions as well. They've just done this series with. Um, Quite a sort of mix of people. The Eudora Welty they've reprinted, and uh, Christina Stead and Steadstein, um, and all sorts of people. But um, the, without anything particularly in common, it seems. But except maybe being good. So, oh. no, wow, that sounds no bad thing. Um, yeah. So, um, shall I start the first section since it was my suggestion and doesn't make any sense? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So this one actually came up when we were talking about Barbara Pym, I think, because I was cross with her titling um, and thought it would be interesting to discuss simple versus fancy titles. And what I mean by that, simple titles are things that just plain and simple tell you what's going to happen in the book or a main character in the book. Things like Emma or, you know, Wuthering Heights or something that's like it's a place, it's a person, it's a theme. You know what you're doing. Fancy titles um, are those which uh, can be, I guess, quotations from other things like um, The Sweet Dove Died, or they can be fanciful, lengthy titles um, that were in vogue a few years ago, um, which also have their charm, but can also lead to confusion. Um, I think probably there are many titles that don't fall neatly into either of these categories, but that's the basis for the discussion. Um, And before I talk more about (laughs) the ones that I have noted down. What are your what are your first thoughts? Um well I mean I haven't ever really thought about this before. Um but I'm just looking at my bookshelves and I think the well the, the majority of books I have seem to be pretty straightforward to be honest. Either the name of the character or um name of the place or something that has some relevant to the plot relevance to the plot. Um but I've got I suppose Simple doesn't necessarily have to be, um, sorry, complicated doesn't necessarily have to have lots of words. So, for example, um, you know, there's, I've got a volume of short stories by Alice Munro on my shelf called Dear Life. I mean, what does that mean? Mm. You know, it's like, it's two words, but you can read into that what you like. Doesn't necessarily tell you what's going to be within the pages. Um, whereas. It's clever, because it's sort of like an address to life and holding on for dear life. I like it. Well, Right, exactly. And then you've got something like, for example, I've got all of my um, Jane Austen, so you've got Emma, you've got Mansfield Park, Northanger Abbey, they're obvious. But then you've also got the very simple titles of Pride and Prejudice and Sense and Sensibility. But actually, what sense, what sensibility, mm. what do we uh, what do we attach that to in the novel? Likewise, Pride and Prejudice, and what meaning does that have? It's not immediately apparent. So I think it's it's a case of not necessarily the length of the title, but the um, the meaning that's within it. And I think one that I a title that I really like of a book I have not read, 
um, that I keep meaning to read and have every intention of reading, <laughs> um, which is A Pin to See the Peep Show um, yeah. by F. Tennyson Jesse. And I know that the meaning of that is inside the book somewhere, the idea of going to watch something that's naughty and it's to do with the murder trial or something. Mm. Um so that's a really interesting, and but unless certainly nowadays, unless you know the context and the historical um, setting of the book, because it's based on a true story, you might not understand what that means, and that would be confusing. And I think if I go to a bookshop and I'm looking at a book, if the title doesn't make it clear to me what I'm reading straight away, sometimes I am put off by it. Um, I think I'm sorry. Sorry, carry on. I was going to say, a Peep Show is an interesting one because I, I also have had it on my shelves for many years without having read it. Um, but I also have another book um, covering the same um, real-life events, which was um, E.M. Delafield wrote a novel about the same events called oh. Messalina of the Suburbs. Oh, um, really? Which, again, it's it requ- requires you to knowing who Messalina is, which I did not, and to be honest, still don't really. I, <laughs> I feel like something in Greek or Roman myth. That's the first I can get. Do you know who Messalina is? I'm probably mispronouncing it. No, but I think I think you're right. But again, that's another case of of lost in translation, isn't it? Because I'm sure in the 20s and 30s, people would have had a better knowledge of Greek mm, myth than mm. we now. So they would have looked at that and been like, oh, right, okay then. Um, whereas we're like, who's Messalina? What are you talking about? Um, There's no character called Messalina in here. I flipped through it twice. <laughs> Actually, that reminds me of a... Reminds me of a title I really do like, um, although I've not read the book and don't particularly want to, is um, Anne Rhine's Atlas Shrugged, because yeah. I still know enough about myth to know who Atlas is. And I just love the idea of Atlas holding up the heavens, just shrugging and the whole thing falling down. It's great. Yeah. Something. Oh well, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think, besides Pym, the thing that has always made me look at titles um, quite closely was the trend that was started by that short history of tractors in Ukrainian book. Do you remember that one? Yes, I do. So I never read it. Um, Marina something wrote it. Um, yeah. And it seemed after that, for about two years, every book had to have this sort of long complicated title that actually had nothing at all to do with the book um that reached its um low point in a in a title again a book i've not read <laughs> but feels strongly about is um it was called a concise chinese english dictionary for lovers i want to look this up again today to make sure i got the title right so like, what's going on there it's obviously not that and if you someone's looking at it you think oh chinese english dictionary great <laughs> that'll be really in handy come in handy for my trip to beijing you get there <laughs> a novel about people falling in love you're lost <laughs> <laughs> this is very confusing yes <laughs> um so i think that sort of trend put me off that sort of thing yeah it's kind of annoying isn't it because it's you know don't try and be clever just tell me what it's about there's no need to be silly um and it is that kind of fancifulness and also i suppose it's just a little bit um I can't think of the word it's gone from my mind, but it's it's kind of of uh, trying too hard to be clever. Yeah, and self indulgent as well. Yeah, and it's like, come on, we don't need to have this sort of I remember something else, there was a book I saw like, you know, uh what's that one about particle physics, calamity oh, particle yeah. I mean, you could, if you can't remember the title, then it can't be particularly good. Such a good point. Yes, yeah, so you need to have one that you people can remember. Yeah. Um, and I, when it's like 
10 words long. No one's going to remember that title. No one's going to be like, oh, it's just that, it's that book with loads of words in the title. And you end up taking home the tractors in Ukrainian book. You didn't even want it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I found this actually with The Secret Orchard of Roger Ackley, which I talked about a couple of episodes ago, a slightly Fox edition that was um, very enjoyable and good uh, a memoir of someone's um, mother and secret father. But I spent the first half of it thinking, when's this orchard going to turn up? Is it going to be a secret guardian situ? But no, it was like this. the orchard was some sort of weird metaphor for bigamy. I don't know. It was bizarre. Yeah, metaphorical titles. No thanks. <laughs> Not for us. Pass. But um, yeah. I think what's really interesting with titles, even if they're really simple, is the way in which it can affect the way you read a novel. Um, mm. I remember I, I the one time I did any teaching, I taught an undergraduate on Muriel Spark for for a term and every time we we did an essay i'd say like think about what the name of this book how the name of this book influences your reading of it how you might have read it differently if it's called something else and i think that first hit home when i read william by e.h young have you read that one i have not it's very very good um and it's about um a woman having an affair and how this affects her wider family and her father is called william um he's one of quite a few people you see the perspective of and how you know how if this event affects his life but because he actually uncalled the novel william it feels like he's the focal point of it which it could easily have been called you know adultery or something um and it would have completely changed the uh focus of it and i think that's really interesting it's, and something that i often don't think about until you know halfway through or afterwards or something and think oh actually i was being steered in a certain direction from the outset hmm yeah, no, I think that's a really good point. And it can hone you into something that perhaps you weren't supposed to. Uh, well, you you kind of, it hooks you into a particular interpretation or it means that you sometimes ignore things. Like, for example, um, Emma, you're mm. so focused on the book being about Emma and you being in Emma's head that you forget that actually there is stuff going on outside of Emma and if you didn't trust her com- so completely or focus on her so completely you would perhaps notice the things that you get to the end and I'm like oh how did I not see that before yeah um, that's really point. and I think also I'm just looking at my shelves um things like um the age of innocence Edith Wharton you know like what does that mean and then as you're reading the book you're kind of looking for that it kind of makes that metaphorical meaning really sort of you feel hit around the head with it, I suppose. Whereas if mm. you hadn't have called it that, you wouldn't be thinking, oh, I'm supposed to see the whole sense of how society's changed and how all these childlike people following the rules and all the rest of it. You know, maybe if she'd called it the name of a character or if she'd called it, you know, New York or something, you would have focused on something else i don't know i suppose yeah they but i wonder sometimes do authors even necessarily choose their titles it's a very good point actually um particularly there was a vogue a while ago i think for americans retitling the american publishers mm. retitling english novels that haven't seemed to happen quite a lot it's particularly actually and i don't want to segue into the second half yet but um it will be a great segue later um with agatha christie so many of her novels were given different titles in america and some of them in fact have reverted back to the british ones i think but um my favorite example uh for lack of subtlety in changing was the i may have mentioned this well but um she wrote a book called um hickory dickory dock um which was retitled in america hickory dickory death 
That's stupid because it's a mouse on a clock. You need to die. <laughs> just so people and make sure they know it's a detective novel um, in fact lots of detective novels do take the simple like death at wherever you know the murder of Roger Ackroyd you know, so it's very simple what happens at the beginning of the book um, yeah I suppose they don't want to give too much away because I'm just looking I've got um, one of the British Crown Library crime classics on my shelf and it's just called Murder of a Lady Murder of a Lady um, like, well, that says it all on the tin, really. Yeah. I'm going to read <laughs> what will about happen? the murder of a woman. Because um, sometimes a title can give away, well, the, the, too much. The one that rings, comes to mind, which I won't spoil here, is but, uh, a Miro Spark novel called The Driver's Seat. Um, that title, because of what it metaphorically means, basically spoiled the entire novel for me. <laughs> so it gives, right. I think it gives away the twist, but, but um, never mind. But yes, I do want, sorry. No, I was going to say, I do wonder how much influence they have, because I know also with translated novels, often the title changes, or even from, so I know at work, like, for those who don't know, I work at a French school, so I have French colleagues, and we'll often go and see a film, or someone will come around and we'll watch a film, and I was talking to someone the other day about a film I really liked, and she was like, oh, no, I don't know that film. And I was like, yeah, everyone's seen this film, trust me. And I explained it. And she was like, oh, it's because the title's completely different in French. Like, I would never have made the connection. Mm. Um, and often the between countries, things have changed, subtleties have changed. And even on a basic level, Harry Potter, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone turns to Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. How is a philosopher and a sorcerer the same thing? They just ain't. No. <laughs> it really isn't and it gets me cross every time I'm like who made that decision because they understand <laughs> there's a, um, a great change it made um, see it all quiet in the western front the original title for that in German translates as no news from the west and all quiet from the western front is such a better title I love it yeah, yeah, I love that title. Good changes. It feels very poetic. It? it does. It's quite haunting, and that's an extra dimension yeah. the title can add. Um, that it, and that's, that's one of those ones that's quite clever in that it's pretty much descriptive, but also there's added layers to it. Yeah, and I think those sorts of titles are my favourite sort. The ones that are kind of, they say what the book's about, but they say it in a way that sounds irresistible. Like you're like, oh, I really need to know what's in that book. Yes. Yeah. Um, and ones that sort of, yeah, something yeah. like The Good Soldier yeah. by Ford Maddox Ford is such a simple title, but, <laughs> but, uh, I don't know if you read that one, but it's, um, but it, you, all the way through it makes you think, well, is he good? Is he not good? Or The Great Gatsby, something like that. You're, yeah, exactly. Um, such simple title that is um, affecting your reading and your evaluation of the characters all the way through. Yeah, and I think um, Virginia Woolf is great for those sorts of titles as well, like To the Lighthouse. Where mm. is the lighthouse? Why are we going there? Yeah. Um, you know, Mrs. Dalloway, who is she? Jacob's room, who's Jacob? Why are we in his room? What's that got to do with anything? And my favourite, Between the Acts, which That's is, title, you know, has so many meanings. I mean, but it is also literally about a book with a play in it, you know, so. Yeah. Well done, Virginia. And she's so great. She can do no wrong. How do you feel about um, quotations as titles or books that get their titles from other from other uh, quotations? I think it's a bit pretentious, to be honest. Hmm. You do, do you disagree with me? No, I, th- I don't think I do. Uh, well, I was thinking about this this week. Um... And I sort of came to the conclusion that I think it's pretentious if I don't recognise a quotation. I think it's fine if I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
because I think like um, the Barbara Pims, my um, some Tame Gazelle and Sweet Dove Died. I think I don't think are good titles because they're just confusing. But if I if I read Maquette, then I or Shelley or whoever it was, um, then I would um, probably think, oh yes, of course, what a good nod to that Barbara. Um, because there's things like trying to, trying to think. Um, like if mice and men or whatever, like it's got nothing to do with mice, but but because everyone knows that quotation, um, yeah. I'm, I'm okay with it. <laughs> but actually, I was thinking I think the one exclusive, isn't it? If you don't know, like if it's not something common, then you're like, oh, this is obviously only people, clever people who've got a really good knowledge of, you know, literature from the eighteen eighteen tens would know this. And it's yeah. like, well, why do you want to exclude a huge raft of potential readers? Yeah, particularly if it doesn't add that much to the book. Yeah. Uh, the one I came up with that I did really like, because I think it works whether or not you know the source, was um, All Passion Spent uh, by Peter Sackville West. Yes. So those are the final three words of Samson Agonistes by Milton. But um, I read the novel before I knew that, and I, and it's the sort of title that could just have been a choice of title anyway. I mean, it's a bit fancy, but you don't think, gosh, what does this refer to? Because it does make sense. Yeah. For the story of this lady who is tired of the end of her, of her family as she comes towards the end of her life and wants to go off and hang off on her own, hang about on her own. Um, so I think something like that that can work, even if you've no idea it's a quotation, rather than just leave you thinking, <laughs> I did write down Agatha Christie's Taken at the Flood, um, which is from, what is it? There is a tide in the affairs of man which taken at the flood leads onto fortune, something like that. Um, yeah. and was in fact retitled There is a Tide in America which is no less <laughs> confusing really but but I, if I didn't know that Taken at the Flood was a quotation then i just read it thinking why is there no flood in this book what's she talking about <laughs> what is happening Yeah, <laughs> is it the wrong cover <laughs> yeah um, yeah so I mean this and things like The Sound and the Fury quotation from Hamlet but you don't need to know that no, it makes sense on its own. Um, and I'm just thinking, is the world my wilderness a quote? I don't know if it is. It feels like it should be. I've got a feeling, and I could be wrong about this, that it, she puts a little epigram, um, do I mean epigram, at the beginning, where we're claiming that's where it's from, but it's actually a line that she made up herself. Oh, really? I think that's true. I don't have my copy with me, but... Um... Let's have a look at it. Hang on. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> It says Anon, so it doesn't say... Yeah. I think I read that she just made it up herself and then quoted herself in the title of her book. Well, you know what? Good for her. I thought like that's something I should do. <laughs> Why not? Well done, Rose. <laughs> Good job. Probably led all sorts of journalists and things at the time to think, oh, I should recognise this quotation. Where's it from? <laughs> oh, this is the... You know, it sounds like something from a Marvel poem or something like that. <laughs> I'll take your word for it. I'm not sure I've ever read any. Something <laughs> like that. <laughs> Um, so, so I, we, I guess there's more than two types of title, it's fair to say. <laughs> <laughs> Titles in general. Titles, discuss. Um, so are we ready to draw the second to close? Do you have more, more you want to say? No, not really. I think, I mean, I hadn't really considered this before, but I'm kind of glad that I have because it's made me... I always kind of just skip over the title a bit, I suppose. I don't really think about it once I've once I've chosen something. Um, but I certainly, when I buy books or I'm browsing for books, I, I am attracted by a title or not. So some titles I just look at and think, oh, no. 
um, for no particular reason. Mm. Yeah, I think um, I think it is one of these things where you, you do do just well. I just think of it until I try and make myself think more of just like that's the name of this book. That's the name of the book I have in my hand. The book I want to read. That's it. Nothing more. But once you think further, longer about it, it does have such an influence both in whether or not you want to read it and then how you read it. And yeah. I assume it's a choice that authors agonise over as well. Well, yes. And I mean, it's a very difficult thing to name a book. It's like naming a child. It is, <laughs> in a way. <laughs> you know when you name a child and an American will just rename it? <laughs> it happens all the time. <laughs> no, I joke. Um, <laughs> if you had yeah, to, Simon. well, yeah, love you, America. You're great. Well, not Donald Trump, but the rest of you are great. <laughs> um, oh dear, I might cut that bit out. <laughs> <laughs> Although, having said that, I don't think we're likely to have any far right um, listeners. No. And you know what? Well, if we do, then shame on them. Yeah, don't vote Trump, please. Don't do it. Um, if you had to seamlessly go back into the main topic, um, if you had to pick simple or fancy, let's pretend that there's a meaningful divisions there. Um, what would you choose? I would go for simple. I think of the extremes, I would also go for simple. I, as you said, I think my favourite are the ones that seem simple but actually have a bit of depth. But if I had to pick between, you know, North Angrabi and a short history of tractors in Ukrainian, it's North Angrabi. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> I often wonder whether people care what we pick. I always I agonise over which one to choose at the end. I don't know if anyone's sit on the on the edge of their seat thinking which one will Simon and Rachel choose. <laughs> Getting <laughs> okay. ready to sort of like shove half their books out the window. Like I can't keep these anymore. They haven't chosen them. <laughs> but as it is, they're probably just like fine, whatever. Get on with it. <laughs> Come on. But please do tell us in um comments on one of our blogs or twitter or whatever um titles you think particularly interesting or the or books that you think could be retitled in interesting ways yeah how's the old email and going rachel lots of emails uh, well do you know what i have actually had one from your lovely colleague and i haven't replied yet because i've been too busy and i very rarely actually check my um blog account which i shouldn't <laughs> say because i do like emails um, and I will get back to that one ASAP. But no, I've only just had the one, so people are being not very good. Come on, guys. Katie can do it. You can do it. Booksnobberhotmail.co.uk. Just send your love. Oh, well remembered, Simon. Thank you very okay. much. <laughs> oh, dear. And you can always email me at simonthomasoxford.gmail.com. Send your problems, your thoughts. <laughs> Don't send your problems. I won't help. <laughs> I've got no life advice to give. <laughs> Unless your problems are what book to read next, in which case I'd love to help. We've got loads of advice on that front. Too much, Probably some would say. Coherent, but you know, we'll get there in the end. <laughs> we'll line up two and you'll have to pick one of them. Yeah. <laughs> so, Agatha Christie. Yes. Part two. You're going to have to start with this one. So, um, dear listener, I'm afraid I rather foisted this one on Rachel, and she tried to back out of it halfway through the week, and I said, no, we're doing it. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I, I have read probably about 40 Agatha Christie books, I think, maybe, 40, 50. There's so many of them, that even at that rate, I've probably read like a third of them, maybe. She wrote so many. Um, and I, when I first started reading Agatha Christie, Back when I, um, I think I read my first one when I was about 13, maybe. 
the first one I read was uh, A Murder is Announced, which is a Miss Marple book. And for some reason, oh, and Colin got one at the same time, and he read, I think, Appointment with Death, perhaps, which is a Poirot book. And that sort of set us both in our in our tracks for a while, that I can only read Miss Marple and Colin can read Poirot. We've got one each. <laughs> He, he rather lucked out there because there aren't that many Miss Marples and there's a lot of Poirots. But um, eventually I decided that probably we could both read both of them. Um, and I explored Poirot as well. And obviously lots of her books also don't feature either of them. Um, in case there's anyone who doesn't know, before I hand over for your initial thoughts, um, Poirot is a Belgian um, ex-policeman who comes to England sort of retired to look after his roses. Um, and you know, live a quiet life, but somehow gets embroiled in in many murders. Um, quite realistically, in that he's a well-respected person in the force, and you know, other um, working policemen will call him in to look at a case. Miss Marple is a sweet old lady who lives in St Mary Mead. Um, slightly less realistically, gets involved in lots of murders <laughs> just because she, you know, happens to be on a coach tour where one happens, or she's staying in a hotel where one happens, or St Mary Mead is a hotbed of crime. Um, <laughs> and whereas, <laughs> yeah, well, quiet, don't move there. You won't last long. Um, Jackie Poirot tends to do things um, with his little grey cells quite methodically, whereas Miss Marple often solves things because. She remembers that it's just like how some child she once knew used to steal conquest from another child or something. Um, and I love them both, and I will speak more anon. But Rachel, what is your experience with Agatha Christie? Um, well, I haven't read as many as you, which um, you've read quite a formidable number there. <laughs> um, I when I started reading them years ago when I was about 11 or so because my granddad had all of them. Huh. Um, and when I used to go and stay those were the only books he had so obviously being a bookworm from a young age I was like well I've got to read something um, <laughs> so I read, read those um, and I remember I, mean, I was always I don't really like reading books that have got murders in them but these are so um, graphic and very cosy that they they're don't really they're very cosy aren't they they're very cosy <laughs> no blood um, and I think the first I read was The Body in the Library which is a Miss Marple book. Mm. And it was, I just found it hilarious that there was this little old lady in the village who just happened to stroll past at the opportune moment and get herself involved. And that people actually listened to her and, um, (laughs) you know, actually respected her opinion. And even though, you know, she's got some lumpy old cardigan on and, (laughs) you know, just, oh, excuse me, you don't mind me coming in and doesn't really know what she's doing. But then because she has got so much life experience, she is able to use that to make sensible common sense things, which, you know, common sense goes a long way in a murder case. Yes, you know? it gives us cardigan wearers of the world um, comfort and hope for the future. <laughs> you, know, you don't need to have years of detective training. All you need is to have life experience and the ability to connect a few simple dots and you're there. Um, though often I find the dots are quite a uh, leap, are quite a leap. I, I agree to an extent, but what I do like about all of Christian novels, except perhaps some of the later ones, which tend to be a bit weaker, is that there was never anything um, that felt unfair. The clues were always there, even if they were too hard yeah. really for any reader to get. You never, They never sort of... Well, there is one later one where she does at the last minute, she's like, oh, did I mention they're twins? (laughs) It wasn't anything, oh, Agatha, stop it. But um, 
in general, <laughs> looking back, you think um, you've played fair all along. You've not lied to the read. You might have kept things quiet, but you've not you've not misled. But um, particularly, you've not. I don't know. You've not got someone just guessing something. You don't um, which without any basis for it. And her plotting is second to none. It's just extraordinary because you get to the end and think this has been worked together so brilliantly. Um, whereas other detective novelists I've read, the plotting tends to be a bit weak. You think, well, there's all sorts of holes in this. There's no reason why the murderer would have done X, Y, Z. There's no reason why the detective would have worked out X, Y, Z. Or indeed, yeah. often just last minute confession. I was reading a Dennis McHale murder mystery a while ago, uh, The Majestic Mystery. Uh, spoilers, but, um, but it's sort of, <laughs> the texts are completely useless. Um, and the only reason anyone finds out anything is because for no reason at all, the murderer confesses everything at the end. <laughs> That's not so good. Yeah, by the way, it was me. Yeah, FYI, <laughs> but don't tell anyone, love the murderer is essentially how it went. <laughs> um, do you, um, what differences do you think there are between the, the Marple and Poirot novels? Other than the character. Well, I really, I, um, yeah, <laughs> I like Poirot um, in that he is, he knows his stuff, and I think he can be a little bit of a know-it-all, but in a kind of, what I really, I think, I remember what annoyed me the most, the first one of his I read, which I can't remember which one it was now. It was like he had the answer, but we had to wait. Until oh, it's the worst, isn't it? And then it's like, oh, do you know what? I'm, I do know what's going on, but we're just going to wait till everyone's together, and we're just waiting for this person and this person. I'm like, just tell me. <laughs> and half um, the time, okay. someone else gets murdered while he's waiting. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, well, this proves the case. It's like, yeah, but someone else just died. Like, <laughs> um, so it's just ridiculous. But I like the fact that um, I really like his character. I like that he's really self-confident and um, and all his little finicky ways. Um, and the way he has to do things a particular way, and um, that people go to him and really respect him. And he's, yeah. I mean, the thing is, for me, I find it quite difficult not to think of him as David Suchet. Oh, absolutely, yes. Yeah. And I mean, that's so, I don't have that same um, connection with Miss Marple, because I think I haven't, she's not, I, mean, I know that they've filmed quite a lot of Miss Marple stuff, but because they've literally got Poirot on British TV. Um, I have really got that image in, in, in broad, in, ingrained in my head, so I can't not see him as that. Whereas with Miss Marple, yeah. I just kind of have the generic figure of friendly old lady, whereas I see very much David Suchet doing a Belgian accent. Um, <laughs> and he's and so good. He's, he's he is such... very good. He is very good. And so I can't really separate him from that. And I find him quite endearing because I like David Suchet. Um, so it's a bit difficult, really, because I can't split them up. Did you see that Kenneth Branagh is going to play him in a film soon? I didn't see that. Oh, it's a film that, as usual, he's writing, directing, and, you know, probably filming, sound editing, all of it, I imagine. uh, (laughs) (laughs) I can't imagine it either. And not just because David Suchet is so embedded in my mind here. It's just it seems such a poor casting decision. (laughs) Well, it doesn't surprise me, seeing as Kenneth Branagh thinks that uh, he is the centre of the main universe so <laughs> yes, no. sorry Kenneth, I don't have a lot of time for Kenneth Branagh no neither do I <laughs> anyone uh, who can be horrid to Emma Thompson is not going to do well in my book amen that is if anything the byword of this podcast team yeah. Emma Thompson <laughs> <laughs> um, 
And I think you're right, partly because David Suchet is so good, but also there's been quite, so quite a few Miss Marvels, and I think um, aficionados are generally would probably generally agree that Joan Hickson is is the quintessential Miss Marvel. But there's been at least another three since her, all of whom have done, to differing extents, pretty good jobs. Um, I like the current one, whose name I can't remember. She was someone from Cranford. Oh, Julia McKenzie. Yeah. She's good. Um, someone who I've never seen as Miss Marple, um, but I can only imagine is terrible, is Margaret <laughs> Rutherford. Now, I love Margaret Rutherford, but Miss Marple, she is not. No, it does seem a rather odd choice. Yes, I can't imagine her playing sort of quiet and um, sitting in the corner and thinking. Um, and the fact that the books, or sorry, the films they've done were called Murder at the Gallop and Murder Ahoy don't give me much, <laughs> much pause for hope. Pause for hope? That's not an expression. But you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. Hope. That would have done. Don't give me hope. <laughs> yeah. uh, um, sorry, <laughs> I, I derailed whatever train you were on totally fine but i think um i think what's what's quite um interesting about both of them is that i think agatha christie allows them to become a little bit cardboard cut out certainly over time it's you know you can predict everything that they're going to do you can predict the reactions they're going to have you can predict um the way in which they're going to solve the crime that sort of thing um and i think that can sometimes Sometimes be a problem when you've got a, a character that goes on so far over time, and also a character. It's like Downton Abbey, where no one ever ages. It's like hmm. surely you have lived about fifty years by now, and yet you're still seventy. Um, yes, well, they both started at the I series thought. old, didn't they? So, yeah. <laughs> Quarry was retired, Miss Marple was an old lady. Um, similar. It's like, you know, Lady Grantham should have been dead. Yes, she's in her late hundred and twenties now. Um, 190. Somebody um, wrote sort of uh, biographies of um, Marple and Poirot that I did read once. Um, obviously, just like putting together things happening in the novels or things that refer to the novels. And they sort of had to play along with this a bit because I think otherwise they had to do, you know, Poirot turned 130 and, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but I guess that's what happens when one is a victim of one's own success. Yeah. Perhaps. Um, something I love about Poirot novels when they appear is Captain Hastings and Ariadne Oliver. Um, have you read book, Poirot books of them in, or either of them in? I don't think so. Uh, they're, they're wonderful. I, I love them more than I love Poirot or Marvel, I think, probably. So, yeah. um, Hastings, as you might have seen in the TV shows, is, um, Poirot's friend who's a very honourable Englishman and he's constantly horrified that Poirot wants to you know, un- read someone else's letter or break into a drawer or something. He's like, it's just like, it's not right. We can't do that. It's not British. Um, <laughs> he, he's also, he's quite like Watson, uh, Sherlock Holmes Watson in some ways in that he's not the brightest. and he's, he, But what makes it adorable is he always thinks he's got it right. And he always thinks he's helped Poirot along the way and he's very proud of it proud of this and only later realises that actually he was helpful because he was an example of what a stupid person would think or you know or he I don't know these things were (laughs) of course I mean both of us we would detect nothing but um, (laughs) 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 but what I like about it is unlike Sherlock Holmes Poirot is very kind to him always he's never sort of saying oh you know you fool or something he's always very sweet to him and then Ariadne Oliver, I like even more, I think, in that she is um, basically Agatha Christie. So she's a detective novelist 
who's written a series about a Finnish detective. Um, and, and she sort of wrote herself into the series to basically say things that she wants to say, including why on earth, um, did I make my detective finish? I didn't know anything about the Finns, which you, you, you <laughs> sort of feel is <laughs> Agatha thinking about the Belgians. <laughs> or at least wanting the reader to think that. It's very funny. Um, so those, they're secondary characters, but when they turn up, they, they appear more or less as much as Poirot does, but, um, I love them. And I think there's one novel, I can't remember which one, where they both appear, which is a, a perfect storm of loveliness. Sweet for you, that must have been. It was a regular treat. A regular treat. <laughs> Whereas Miss Marple, she got that nephew or something, but um, I don't remember much about him. Norman, maybe? He's not yeah. the same. Not such a treat. I think it's Raymond, actually, or Ray or something like that. Oh, you're Boy. quite right. Tick VT. Yeah. Are you on and Wikipedia? Brilliant. <laughs> now, Simon, I mean, I'm going to ask you this because you're the expert, not me, on this one. Oh, Would gosh. you say there is a novel for both Poirot and Miss Marple that you would say is the best example of them as a character or quintessential if someone wanted somewhere to start? What a good question. Thank um, you. You're welcome. Um, I haven't <laughs> actually... <laughs> I've never actually read um, The Murder of Roger Ackroyd because I know what happens. But I think that one, if one has, doesn't know what happens, is the perfect one perhaps to start with Poirot. Um, okay. Of the ones I have read, <laughs> um, I think Dumb Witness, which my friend Fiona gave me once, um, is a brilliant introduction to both Poirot and Hastings. Hastings is lovely in that book. Um, it was called something else in America, but I can't remember what. So Dumb, Dumb Witness is the UK title, um, and the, the Dumb Witness in, in that case is a dog. <laughs> so that's fun. Uh-huh. For Miss Marple... Um, Ooh, let me think. I think the body in the library, actually, the one the one you read, is a good example oh. of. Oh, oh, or the mirror cracked from side to side, which was published as the mirror cracked in the US, and is a very good example of something from our first half of a line taken from poetry being a quotation from the Lady of Shalott. Oh, um, that's yeah, so it's not only a very nice. It's all set in Saint Mary Mead, so we get to see her and her friends in the village. Um, or maybe a village next to it, but it's somewhere around there. And also one of my favourite solutions to any of any of the, the novels. That's yeah, my pick. Because okay. I my... think sometimes it feels a bit overwhelming when you've got so many books with the same character and you don't really know where to start. It's true, and I think, I mean, it's important to note, I think, to anyone who's not read anything by her, that you don't need to read them in order by any means. You can pick, pick and more or less at random. There's a couple that... Well, there's, there's, yeah, sometimes she refers back to previous books and tells you who the murderer was, so you have to be careful to skim over those paragraphs. This <laughs> is almost... just like that book you haven't read yet, when this person does yes. this. Spoilers. No. Agatha, don't do it. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, she does cross a few who haven't bought all her books, perhaps. My absolute <laughs> favourite Agatha Christie book, actually, doesn't have either of them in. Um, oh. and I think it's also the book that was voted favourite um, by the public when there was a poll recently, which is And Then There Were None. Oh, but they did the TV. I love that TV series. Over Christmas, it was very good. It was very good. Um, I Yeah, I was nervous because I love that book so much. Sorry, say it again? Now I know what happened, so I feel like I can't read the book. That's the problem, isn't it? That's why I never really watch the TV shows, unless I've already... Well, you either have the thing where you know what happens, and so there's no tension, or you don't want to watch it because it'll spoil the book. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's just such a quandary. I'm middle class. 
that's the difficult times we're living in. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I mean about difficult choices. <laughs> Nobody knows the troubles we've seen, is what I'm saying. <laughs> oh, dear. But um, it is... I think that's the thing with Agatha Christie, with Anne Wynan and with the mode of Roger Ackroyd and with a bunch of other books. She was um, basically rewriting what a detective novel could be. The... the um, I think, well, there weren't that many before that anyway, because she, before she started writing, because that's when the Golden Age started, but there was, before that it was like, here are all, the, all these people, one of them did it. And she'd do all sorts of things about, you know, without, without assigning to particular books, be like, everyone did it, no one did it, a child did it, someone you thought was dead did it, the person you thought in the first place actually did do it. All these sorts of things where she's subverting the genre, um, really cleverly uh, that you you think I've read so many detective novels by now nothing can fool me nothing will pull the wool over my eyes you think oh no she's done it again very impressive that's so clever and I I always wonder like, how did she sit down and work out the plots because a lot of the time I think I just wouldn't even have thought of that as an option yeah and, and so complex to have as to well. work backwards from thinking right that's my end point how am I going to start I just can't imagine how she must have plotted it out it's like math <laughs> well speaking of someone who has plotted out several murder mystery parties which <laughs> <laughs> which who's to say which is harder um, what I did what I did find really hard with those is you not only have to have come up with uh, motive and um, opportunity for a person but you're you also have to lay red herrings, and those red herrings have to be less convincing than the actual person who did it. Because if you get to the end and think, well, I've laid these red herrings so it could equally well have been all three of these people, then it's sort of not worked. You need a reason why it could only have been the person who did do it, and why the others couldn't work out, if you see what I mean. And she always says that. (laughs) It's too complicated. And I, but I would love to come to a murder mystery party, so that's me inviting myself next oh, time. Please do, you. absolutely. They're great fun. Um, I, the ones oh, I've been to. One, but I've never had a suitable home in which to do one. Oh, right. <laughs> I've, yeah. you know, I've, I've been in a flat for too long, unfortunately. Can't do a lot in a flat, can you? Well, you can't. You can't. I feel like I need <laughs> Um, it would just be sort of you and one other person who think, well, you did it. Yeah. <laughs> There's only one room, so... That is the problem I found with murder mystery parties. It basically has to be poisoning because everyone's in the same space together. You can't really... And if it's in another room that someone gets stabbed or something, then everyone knows who's not in the room when it <laughs> happened. So it really has to be poisoning. Although I did go to one once where someone got... Um, beaten to death with a with a cucumber. <laughs> Not yeah. sure as a weapon of choice it would work particularly well. <laughs> it sounds like a very prolonged death. Yes, in fact, I think. Um, yes, I mean, if you're going to shove it down someone's throat, perhaps that would work. <laughs> but yes, otherwise. Yeah. Um, yes, heel books now diversifying into murder techniques. <laughs> <laughs> you think about these things often. Um, not often enough, some would say. <laughs> Having said that, well, I get the I mean, um, was never that out there with her murder techniques. The the motives and the um, well, that's something we're often quite clever. But generally, she, well, she used to work in a in a chemist, so she knew a lot about poisons, and poisons came came up a lot. And often it was you know poisoning or you know shoving off a cliff or something. It wasn't convoluted and 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 never like gory or torture or anything horrible like that. No, which is what I like. And that's what I like about um, 
mysteries from that period as well is that you know that you're never going to see anything that unpleasant and also you're never really going to care that much about any of the characters so you won't really mind who gets killed off yeah it's always pretty obvious who's going to get killed off as well because everyone hates them that's why you get to the first chapter and say this person's rude (laughs) annoying you're gonna die i don't care i just want to find happened and that's quite nice you can sort of step back from it what i hate is when i'm reading a book and i really love the people and i'm like no one of you's gonna die so i did actually feel that way when i was watching and then there were none um mm. and i got to the point where i was like i just don't want to watch anymore because i like all the people and i don't want them to die but then we gradually started finding out more things and then it realized that the people that i thought i liked weren't as nice after all it was a roller coaster of emotions yeah, absolutely. So yeah. I think the TV adaptations, particularly that one, um, do more about, or do you focus more about whether characters are likable or not? I think what makes Agatha Christie so great is that they are puzzles, basically. Puzzles yeah. with humans in them. Um, whilst, you know, I'm very fond of Fire and Marple and, and of course, Hastings, um, and Ariadne Oliver, everyone else, yeah, you're right, they just, they, they come on, They one of them will kill someone else, they can all go off again. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, they all just serve a purpose, don't they? That's the thing. Yeah. Which, um, which wouldn't be great in every book, but for this, for a detective novel, I think it's perfect. I think it should be primarily about the puzzle. Exactly, I agree. Um, in terms of which one I prefer, mm. I think, although I prefer Miss Marple as a character to Pryor, probably, um, because the puzzles perhaps are maybe slightly cleverer in Poirot's, or the solving is slightly cleverer, and because of Hastings End, Ariane and Oliver, I'm going to pick the Poirot books, which I didn't even know I was going to do at the beginning of this conversation, in fact, and um, and my 13-year-old self revolts at it, thinking, no, that's Colin's. <laughs> Poirot belongs to Colin. But um, if Colin will allow me to borrow Poirot for this episode, I'm going to pick him. How about you? I think I would I would also pick Poirot for many of the same reasons as you, in that I do think that the cases with him in are a little bit cleverer. And because he is a sort of trained detective, he often picks up on things um, that Miss Marple doesn't. And it feels just a bit more legitimate. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, so that's how I feel about that. And I also now want to read more Agatha Christie but I don't I only have one on my shelf I've just looked and I literally have one and I've already read it which is annoying well hi thee to literally any charity shop and I'm sure they'll have yeah. some <laughs> in fact on Saturday on Saturday I'm going to find when dear listeners we are, will be meeting up um, I will find you some Agatha yeah well when I take you to that bookshop I told you about there will definitely be some in there yeah and I will be able to you may not have come out of because it is so precariously sat we may be crushed beneath the puddle <laughs> we'll die happy it's fine yeah um, why don't you tell our friends and listeners what we'll be doing next episode um have we decided on that are we, we going have... with the pardon me okay so Sarah, Sarah Waters Sarah Waters, yes. So we're going to do Sarah Waters' um, books. Are we going to do specific ones, or? Yeah, we'll start off with specific ones. Yeah. Okay, so we'll we're mainly going to be focusing on tea books that we've both read um, fairly <laughs> recently, which is always good. Um, so we're going to be talking specifically about The Little Stranger and The Night Watch, but we're also will be sort of milling around with other books. So if you've read any Sarah Waters, then it will all be relevant. You know what we're like. We'll go off on tangents. 
Yes, we probably um, won't stick strictly to the structure. Yeah. <laughs> we just can't. We can't. We're incapable of doing it. Not in our we set, we set the parameters and then we just knock them down. <laughs> because we realise we have nothing to say about the things that we picked. <laughs> um, are we going to go with what I said, like the, the seasons thing or not? Oh, we might do for the first half, maybe. Let's leave that yeah. one up in the air. But, we'll but on, there may be something about seasons. Simon thinks my idea is rubbish. That's and, not true. Uh, okay, we're definitely doing seasons next time as well. For the first half, we'll be on seasons. I'll thank you. Summer versus winter. Very so, good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and, and books, not just, you know, which do we prefer. <laughs> <laughs> I love wearing a jacket outside, so I'll pick winter. <laughs> oh, dear. So, yeah, tune back in for that. Um, we've made yeah, it sound irresistible. <laughs> Bye. Bye.